Welcome to Chop It Up. I'm Sean Palmer. I'm Manny Lloyd. He's Dion Reynolds. I'm, Dion. <laughs> I'm Keith Miller. <laughs> no special guest, Jacoby Lloyd. <laughs> we got Power 106. We're definitely starting. Like, that's how the podcast is starting. What's up? This is Ruby Rose. What's good? I'm Roddy Rich. Hi, I'm Young Thug. I'm Trippy Red. What it do is the big bag, big speaker, money bag, yo. What's up? I'm Doja Cat. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Chop Boy Freddy, baby. From the Upperman African American Cultural Center, it's Chop It Up. The dopest black cultural center podcast in the game this fall, only at the Up. Welcome to Chop It Up. I'm Sean Palmer. I'm Manny Lloyd. I'm Dion Reynolds. And we're back for another semester. Woo! Of Chop It Up, we hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, we hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We just tried to get through it all. We gave all of our grades out and everybody failed, Aww. but we gave them A's anyway. Yay! That could be a lie. So don't call me and ask me about your grades. But we are excited to talk to you today about uh, cultural center things. Uh, we have two amazing students on with us today. One who was uh, on his threshold, uh, he's out the door. He really finished his major last semester, but he's trying to add some cute superty duperty stuff. And then the other one who already is accepted to grad school, ready to go. Um, ladies and gentlemen, can we introduce you to Keith Miller and Jacoby Lloyd? <laughs> What's good? Welcome to Chop It Up. Chop, 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 chop it up. <laughs> Hey, hey, hello, hey. ladies and gentlemen, non-binary <laughs> folks, all allies. Oh, okay. <laughs> shout out all the homies. He's a progressive Negro. We love a little progressive. I try. the books. He did not stay in for my class, though. So I, oh. you know, I would never know. Really know you no, know, we already talked about this phone. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, like, why I can't get the brothers to stay in my class. I just don't I'm, I'm, I'm reading the books that you that you um gave to us. I'm still reading the books. Okay. <laughs> I'm just okay. education on my own time. I'm just saying that my class prepares you for your next level. I, I, I mean, I don't think anybody can do it like I do it, but that's another story, you know. I, I believe it. I believe and agree. So we also want to, we also, we, there are real good reasons to have these young brothers online, but two, one really good reason that we want to have them on and they don't know that we know, but we do know. These Ooh. Negroes are scholars. Like they had, both of them had 4.0s last semester. And so we want to chop it up and give them a round of applause for their good academic. <laughs> did you ever have, you ever have you. a 4.0 in undergrad? No. No, <laughs> never. That is a no. <laughs> Manual Lloyd, I, I think you, man, you probably got real close because I know your grades was real high in undergrad. First semester, I had a four. I had a four point at UNCW or four point UNCW. At okay, yeah, four point UNCW, and I, I was taking eighteen credit hours that year. 
I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't, ha- I wasn't having fun. I was just going to class and going home. <laughs> no, he's living his best life last last semester mm-hmm. in a, in his little, you know, in his little bubble. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess and Sean Palmer, no, did not have no 4.0 in thine undergrad. But I got close. I got I had like three A's and an A minus. So Ooh, but okay. I was I was I look, I was just proud to get up out of two point one territory, which is where I started as a freshman. I I graduated, that. thank you, Lordy. I'm not gonna graduate cum magna cum summa cum, <laughs> cum, cum You all good? I graduated like what they said at Morehouse. I graduated yes, just with your hands all over the building. <laughs> thank you. Like my grandma said, you can't fall off the floor. So you all you can. You can't fall off the floor. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are excited to have them on. Um, Jacoby serves as the what? What are you? What, what you doing on campus, Jacoby? Tell us what you be doing. A resident assistant in the freshman area in Schwartz. I'm president of NAACP. I am um, under mentorship of Dr. Sayers for the racial justice learning community, developing anti-racist praxis within the faculty and staff here. I'm an excellent project peer mentor, and I am um, a, I'm working on an art equity fellowship with Michael Williams and a couple other students trying to build social justice artwork within the community and on campus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is what I heard. Jacoby, yeah. Jacoby is like the, and he looks, and if y'all saw Jacoby, Jacoby is like built like an Amazon. He's like super Adonis. muscular. <laughs> so he is like, he a, like I like I that's I want to look like Jesse Owens, but that's what God said Jacoby gonna look like. So there's that. So I appreciate the love. I appreciate it. <laughs> and then Keith, tell us what you what you have done, what you've been doing. We know Woo. you kind of like not do much. So you kind of like a under. Like on the low Negro. You feel me? You feel me? I'm on the low Negro. Low Negro. You know, I you know I've been I've been I've been to Jacoby. You feel me? I've been that. I just like Ooh. before uh I was the NWACP president. Before Jacoby president. was Jacoby. Yeah, I was <laughs> NWACP president too. And Jacoby was my uh what you was my I was your secretary. secretary at the time. I said I've been the vice president and the president of the Alpha Phi Alpha chapter Omicron Theta at UNCW. Who you with? Ice. <laughs> uh, I've been the uh, vice president of the uh, MPHC. I've been an excellent project mentor. I've been the treasurer of Black Boy Joy, and I've been many members of many Black organizations up in here. BSU, uh, Rhyme and Reason. Y'all make me tired just thinking about all the stuff. You, y'all you just, I just can't name it all. <laughs> We invited both of them on because we knew that they had NAACP in their backgrounds, in their back pockets. Dion, Manny, were you a part of NAACP when you were an undergrad, and what was what was going on at your little college? We we didn't have a undergrad chapter uh, at the at the school I was at, so nah, I, I was not involved. Okay, and Manny, I, I mean, you know, Palmer, we we didn't we didn't have an active chapter. <laughs> at the time that I was an undergrad, um, but happy to to be working to to bring it back. And um, Jacoby Keith was the second president of Matt of uh, NAACP since it got brought back, and Jacoby's the third. So happy to happy to aid in the in the continued le- legacy of, of the UNCW NAACP. Woo! 
It's been a process, ain't it, Jacoby? It's man, who you telling, man? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So we, that's why we brought them here to talk politics with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Sometimes when I'm joking, I'll say certain people. Funny enough, I didn't, we didn't have an NAACP chapter at in undergrad either. Uh, our, our BSU was like, our, it was everything. It was the gospel choir, the, the step show, the, well, all of it. We just did it all in one little group. Um, but when I went off to grad school, the NAACP at Clark was popping. Clark Atlanta was popping. And they were basically, a, if you wanted to be Greek, you had to go through the NAACP. You you was not. And so their chapter was like 300 members large. <laughs> and then they would still be like, no, you, yes, no, no. Are you vice president? Well, you're not going to make the line. So, uh, and then at Duke, uh, the NAACP was about that life. They was always doing some cool stuff. Um, so, yes, I've seen the undergraduate versions of NAACP. Um, my aunts are actually very active in the NAACP. So I actually got active a couple years ago um, in the NAACP, although I need to pay my dues this year. Well, you better do it for Deborah. So Deborah, before Deborah, shout out to Deborah Maxwell. Yeah, shout out to Deborah Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah Maxwell. <laughs> Deborah is our local NAACP president, and she is phenomenal about raising issues and concerns. And today we're gonna talk about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Holiday. And mm -hmm. so uh, we just gonna we just gonna start off with Jacoby. Um, what's your earliest Martin Luther King Holiday memory? I remember when I was like three or four, I could barely comprehend anything. I had to sit in front of the TV and watch the I Have a Dream speech with that real like choppy audio, <laughs> like, like somebody recorded it with their phone. And I really didn't get much of what it was about besides that he had a dream that black kids and white kids and Asian kids, Native American all be holding hands playing in the playground. So, you know, three, four, that's all I could comprehend. But I was like, I'm with it. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Who else had the same? Did everybody else have a similar? That's their first, their first memory of MLK. So that's that's kind of similar to mine. I know, uh, like, I think I was around like maybe like four or five years old. I was actually living in Okinawa, and my parents was like, "Everybody come downstairs," because it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and put the TV on. And you know, it's the, the big fat TVs, but they got the fat back. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So we watching this whole black and white uh I have a dream speech and I'm just like me being young like what is, what is this who is this what is like what is this about and of course black parents they'd be like watch this this is important this is your history and you and you just like you just like okay cool let's just I'm gonna just sit through it I ain't gonna say nothing and then like Kobe said the video was all chopped and screwed but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, he was saying some really important stuff. But at the time, I just couldn't like comprehend it. I think the only uh, another memories I have is that when I was in elementary school, they would rerun my friend Martin. Every oh yeah, <laughs> that like my friend Martin. That was like <laughs> that was like the head movie that any kids was watching. Oh wow! The <laughs> the funny thing is, I, I I was homeschooled, but I also remember my friend Martin. Like that was. <laughs> I don't know, that was just like the universally, it, it was like it's animated show. These this kid goes back in time. He's like, he's I think he's not doing well in his class on history or whatever. And he goes back in time and sees what Martin Luther King had to deal with. 
And then I think he brings MLK like out of time. And then you see what the world would have been like without MLK. But my friend Martin, that's that's the that's the crazy thing. Like I, was I, don't I, I, I guess I guess so. <laughs> it was it was the black, it was the young students, elementary school, middle school staple for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That that's, was so, that's so interesting because like I don't I don't remember my friend Martin. But I remember, so maybe it's because I'm much older. I guess I'm at least 20 years older than all of you all. It but might not have dropped yet. That thing <laughs> might not have. <laughs> <laughs> that thing dropped in college or not 11. Um, but I remember for sure kids having to recite the entire speech, like, and stand in front of AME churches across all the South and be like, one day, like they would choose a little kid who was like, they might be a pastor in life and they would make them recite the whole thing. Oh, so and they then, had you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Cause see, I was not, I was not prepared to do that, but I, I was in the choir. So I ended up having to sing the Stevie Wonder song. Cause everybody, the Stevie Wonder song was really popular. And I feel like only Manny would know the answer to this. I feel like it was in my elementary childhood or when I was in elementary school that the day became a national holiday. I feel like that was, that's how old I am, so. It didn't, be, it didn't become a national holiday until like 1980. Yeah. If it was 80, I would- 19, Yeah, 1983. But there was a whole buildup before that because like- Yeah, because there was a whole big old legislation piece. It's in the Reagan era. And like, I can remember, and like, I think Stevie Wonder drops the song right around the same time, which has now become the official anthem for Black uh, birthdays. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy Dion, did you have, uh, you get in on this. What, what was the tradition at your house? Or did y'all, did our no, no MLK, no fundamental MLK experience? Yeah, no, no fundamental MLK experience in the house, uh, but definitely at school, uh, we watched our friend Martin. Uh, oh, so, so you got to see it too? Yeah, yeah, so elementary for sure. Our friend Martin was always the thing um, that we watched. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I will tell you that in high school, Malcolm X came out. And that shifted me fundamentally in terms of like how I understood Martin. Like Martin was cool, but Malcolm was, Malcolm was my dude. So. Malcolm, oh, I almost, whew. Malcolm was that Negro. <laughs> Malcolm was that Negro. Except he did not, he did not, he was not an, in, he was not a card carrying member of the National Association for the Advancement <laughs> of Colored Negroes and Chimpanzees. <laughs> My, my, I guess I'm keeping that in. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't rock with the NAACP at all. No. But you know, my family would my family would call the NAACP every time they got mad with white people. So they would be they was quick to be like, "Oh, we will we'll see you tomorrow with the NAACP." See how you like that? Dang. <laughs> this would be for it to be a time when the NAACP was the police. <laughs> uh, no, no, then you could go get them to get that. They would drag white people through the through the hood, and we love that. So, um, but like, okay, so is there a favorite memory? Do you have a favorite memory of, of of Martin Luther King holiday? I don't know if it's if it's the most poignant, but the one that always sticks out in my head related to MLK holiday is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> is walking in the MLK parade. So Wilmington has the like the largest MLK celebration um, in like the southeast. Uh, shout out to Hollis Bridge and uh, uh, Hollis, Hollis Bridge. Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they always cap it with the MLK parade. And you know we're all we're always invited that they you know that they treat us well. So we're you know we're always there. The thing is that it happens in January. While Wilmington is a very, you know, mild climate, when it gets cold and windy, it gets cold and windy. And you're out there normally standing around for a couple hours. And forever, and MLK Day is, for some reason in Wilmington, at it's least cold. <laughs> it is the coldest is. day of the year. It you is know, brick. Like, you have not been able to experience this, but we trust you will get, by next year, you will experience the coldest day of the year and standing outside with your up and stuff on. And, and normally you're there for like an hour kind of waiting because you got it's a parade like with like hundreds of floats. So you gotta get there to early and, and, and prep and then you're just kinda out there and then you start and then you start moving. Um, which I always hated because it was cold, but we weren't able to do it this year because of COVID. And I realized, you know, I, I miss I miss that experience. I don't necessarily miss the cold, but I miss kind of like that experience of getting students together. Um Sean was came in clutch and brought his car one year, so we were able to that, that helped with some of the I heat. I always bring my car because I never get to march with the Alpha, so I'm I'm usually marching with up, and then I'll turn around and I'll try to hop back in line so I can march you, with you, the Alpha. You 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 do you like all right? I'm doing back now. <laughs> I've heard that. My, my we, first we... year, my second year, Zach was so small and no restaurants were open, and he was like, "I gotta go to the bathroom. Screw all of this mess." And that Negro started peeing down his leg. Oh, and it was the, Like, it was freezing. It was bad. It was a whole bad experience. So, <laughs> yeah. Keith and Jacoby, both of you have marched in the parade, yes? Yes. Well, I'm not. Jacoby. I've never marched in the parade. You're missing a treat. You're missing a treat. I'm yeah, a, I know. I'm, it's always I'm, cold. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in the past, too. I've been in the past, too. Yeah, when I lived in Atlanta, we would. I would always be in the parade. Um, now, of course, when I lived in Minnesota, we didn't, I don't remember there being a parade, but we did have, and January was off. We were off during January because it was J-Time, so. Dion, have you marched in parades in, uh, in, in the places where you are from? I've never been in a parade, period. <laughs> Let alone the MLK one. I've, ne I've never participated in a parade. I've been to a parade when I was, like, young, but, nah, I haven't even seen a parade, I think. Probably like ten years. Oh wow. <laughs> wow, that's different. How do you, as a as college students, as young professionals, how do you see MLK? Do you what is your what are your ultimate thoughts about the impact of King? Um, I can't. You can't understate the significance of MLK and his influence on Black people in the civil rights movement, of course, and SNCC to have a, an organization to spearhead the movement, so that we have like clear goals and. Uh, like a clear like vision with mission statement what we're doing rather than like a grassroots movement um i don't i don't know if i can say i 100 percent agree with mlk now that i'm older and i have a better understanding of like i guess history and the way african-american people have been treated and the way that white people react to certain things but i did one thing that king did is that he exposed like the demons in america because he took the most peaceful peaceful ways to protest, like boycotting, which is like a very, very peaceful, non-aggravating event. And still they had the dogs on them, you know? And I think seeing that, I'm sure it spoke, sparked 
the fire and a lot of other activists like if you think of like a Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael or like like Bobby Seale, Huey P. Newton to see a man to come so peacefully and trying to bring people together and be met with violence no matter what he does it kind of opened up that other spectrum of the civil rights movement and I don't think it would have been as successful as it could have been without both sides of the coin or both sides of the spectrum. Keith, are you, would you, would you agree with Jacoby? Are you, I mean, unfortunately you, not unfortunately, but you are in the organization that always sees King, you and Dion are in the organization that always sees King as like quintessential Negro. Mm -hmm. um, quintessential Negro. So how do you, how do you make sense of King? <laughs> Well, of course, like just piggybacking off of what Jacoby said, like you just cannot like ignore the significant in impact that uh, King had on our our whole society, like on our whole nation. I think what bothers me is that I don't like how people be like kind of be pimping Dr. King uh, by asking questions about like how would King react to the constant state of protest or how would King react to y'all asking for the government to run us our coins but like if you had read or if you read like mlk's like april 3rd uh mountaintop speech then he speaks on like protesting and fighting a particular system he actually says now we're going to march again and we've got to march again in order to put the issues where it's supposed to be but like people only play him as like the peaceful protest i have a dream man who only see little black boy who only want to see little black boys and little black girls hold hands with white boys and girls in Alabama. But like King protested on other issues like income inequality and how Negroes need guaranteed income. And he actually argues that like if America becomes uh goes into equality at the moment, like Negroes would not be ready for it. And we wasn't like because there was no other, there was no plan in place for us. And he also said that white Americans would even be more unprepared, which they were because they, of course, like I said, they didn't have a plan in place for us. And he also protested about the lack of strong poverty programs. But you know, if you don't pick up a book or teach the kids right, they won't know and you won't know <laughs> that the whole revolution is about how to get in and get our share of economy, the housing market, educational system and social opportunities. I think it's big to understand that like around like 1967, 68, right before MLK died is that he had kind of a change of heart and he was becoming more militant and started messing with the white man's money. You know, he was the first prominent figure to speak against the Vietnam War. He started to become more socialist, even in some views, like a black Marxist in his views. That's when he really had a target on his back. And that's when, that was like the last straw for like the government. Like it was time to take him out when he started messing with the money. Cause it was one thing just to like for white people to sit on or black people to sit on white people's toilets and drink from the same water fountain they can get with that but once you start trying to spread more money into the black community once you start to take care of poverty and low socioeconomic status of people of all races that's when it became a problem because then it messes with that status quo and that tranquility that that exploitation relies on King said we was going where the money resides. What a money reside. What a money reside. What a money reside. What a money reside. I think for me, as I as I think about King, I do think I think when we peddle this notion that his legacy is nonviolent, I think that's a lot. Like I think that the violence that was exacted on black bodies is actually super traumatic. I mean, kids got blown up. People were lynched. People had to have guns. They had to have armed 
folk walking with them beside them um, in order for them to like not lose their lives. Um, the I feel like we were talking about this last night in my home that the 60s was such a shady era. It's <laughs> so like the shadiest decade of them all because you could just be driving down the road and then you just die. Like, and nobody has heard from you and nobody knows why and an FBI has a part to play in it. And so I think like when I think about the legacy of King, I can't imagine what it would be like to drive to drive through Birmingham and Mobile and wherever and just in Montgomery, um, Alabama on the way, you know, or Columbia, South Carolina. So I just cannot imagine what that would be like to show up in those cities um, and knowing that when you get back on the road, like the police could pull your tail over and then y'all be at the Klan rally. But that's another story. I think the way I, I sum up or I, I make sense of King and his legacy uh, in, in a few words is he was definitely strong in a lot of ways. Uh, he was ambitious and he was super intelligent. Uh, I think what he was trying to achieve was, you know, ambitious and the way he was going about trying to achieve it, you had to be really strong mentally, physically, emotionally, um, and just like his overall intelligence and being able to persuade other people to uh, take on that style of uh, trying to create some change um, is is like it's commendable because I, I don't think anybody can convince me today to be like, yo, we might die, but we we got to go uh, walk in the middle of the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in the 60s, you know, obviously, it's a different time um, in I mean, I don't know we, we I, we've never seen another leader like King. So. I just, I mean, I, I commend him to the highest standard because there's never been another king, and I don't know if we'll ever see another king. So, I mean, I feel like we get a few Martins or folks that, you know, might want to be Garvey. Garvey's my favorite, but, um, you know what I'm saying? But I don't crazy think we'll Garvey? Ever. You like Marcus Crazy Garvey? Listen, Garvey, Garvey's that Come guy. Back home. Hey, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, Tom, who's, who, who's, who's your, uh, who is your favorite uh, sociologist of all time? William Edward Burkhart Du Bois. <laughs> oh, okay. That Marcus Garvey is a lunatic or a traitor. I will bring the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna work on you. I'm gonna help you fix it. Don't don't get me started on Du Bois because oh, he. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the record, folks. You ever? You ever read it? There will be no divorcing slander on my television show. That's where critical race theory started, 1903. <laughs> double consciousness, the theory of double consciousness. There it is, the duality of man. Duality, the, be the veil, the valence that black folk live upon, the, the inclusion of the sorrow songs as a part of our spiritual animus for freedom and rights and equality. Jesus. Uh -huh. I'll just uh -huh. say that. It goes that man. <laughs> ain't nobody perfect. I'll just say that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like Du Bois. Now, nah, I, you know, I actually don't dislike Marcus Garvey. Um, I think Marcus Garvey is fine. It's just that when you see the petty arguments across the the time, um, particularly at there when they were both alive, like you just laugh. Um, and the similar when you start talking about Martin and Malcolm X, you realize that. There was a there is a world that pitted them against each other, and I I wonder do we still exist in a world where black men are pitted against each other? There's a weird like anti-black 
conservatism party. Not like a party, but it's like a group of black people that don't like black people as like a result of like consuming like consuming those messages from mass media, you know, the really specific language and images and the omission of certain details that always skew the perspective of what black people are doing in this world mm-hmm. that feeds off like racial hierarchies and behavioral racism. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there is I'm sure there is rhetoric that puts black down other some black people down so other black people can be uplifted but that to me feels more like classism mm. like the like a like the bougie bourgeois black people looking down upon lower class black people in the culture like there's a there's an indexicality with hip culture that these people are causing their own suffering rather than seeing something like trap music and art from that type of culture being a reflection of what those people are going so, through you so you argue that I'm assuming based on where you're headed, it's funny because I hear you making a, a, a strong class-based analysis um, around race and culture um, that you might say that permeates African-American identities, plural, plural. And when I say that, I'm, I'm also including afro ghanaians and I mean, anybody who is of the African diaspora, but who's sitting in this in the country, in our Babylon yeah. called America. Um, just wondering how do you how do you make sense of of class at uncw as a person recognizing race and class are inextricably tied um it's hard i try not to make assumptions but you know when you see like so like you see black kids who have like their coon chips are pretty much activated the coons. <laughs> the co- <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. You have a conversation with them, and you're like, "Oh, okay." They either either they've never been immersed in that type of oh. culture. <laughs> there is a coon chip. Oh, you can throw them out of white brainwashed. Exactly. Why did Doctor Umar? I swear. But for but for real though, I really do feel like I don't know if they haven't been around a lot of black people because um somewhere within their family's history, the black people in their family came up and now they're in upper class. Because some people, once they, once you leave the ghetto or you leave that lower class, you don't want to ever look back. And then that history gets lost and you start looking down upon your nose of people who came from that same, that same area, whether you have understanding that your family came from it or not. So I just feel like, I try not to have prejudice, but I don't know, something about like a black dude some short shorts and some boat shoes and he's talking a certain way. But we know, we know. More we know like when about. you hear black people that don't like African American vernacular English. I think that's what probably bothers me the most. I, they treat it I as if like those people that. are unintelligible. I am well, yeah. you know, it's such an interest it's such an interesting conversation because you really can't talk about the legacy of King without talking about the legacy of the respectability politic yeah, that emerges out of the civil rights movement that really in that day and age was really meant to be a technique to bring people into the humanity of black folk, right? Now, you're probably wondering, what the heck is respectability? Respectability politics, or politics of respectability, is a form of moralistic discourse used by some prominent figures, including or academics, who are members of the Respectability. Respectability politics is a rights era 
they were combating stereotypes that said they were subhuman, right? And so to see them walking down the street in their Sunday best, dressed to the nines with all this level of dignity on this new platform, you know, we got Facebook it and, and, and whatnot, but they had the television, which was a new platform for most homes. And so they were walking down the street. You saw these beautiful images of black people living there, you know, looking like they were coming from church trying to access equality and equity, which then turned into uh, like, you always gotta, your hair always gotta pre be pressed like a Michelle Obama. You always gotta have the good, cute, fly, low haircut um, that your generation is saying, not nah, a both of them things, right? And then it can't be dyed, it can't be colored, you can't have earrings in that if you're a boy, your pants gotta sit on your waist, like all of those kinds of things that end up developing kind of like a neocon, which, I mean, in, in, including elocution and speech, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we, we don't talk enough about the fact that like, even as eloquent as Martin Luther King was, Martin Luther King still had a Southern rural black speech pattern that is deeply black preacher like, you know, deeply black preacher. Um, and that level of intonation, it was a part of his cultural, like it was, it was, a, it was an identifier for us as cultural, as people who understand the culture. And I think, I think a lot of times we send black kids to schools in these integrated spaces and, and reward them for being the, their ver the version of themselves that is the least black, right? We don't tell them that the language of their home belongs in the, in the education system. We tell them, we don't say that the reason we're teaching this to you is because we want you to be able to code switch so that you may have opportunities because the world is, is sexist, racist, homophobic, and classist. That's not how we frame education. We mm -hmm. say, if you're not saying isn't, that's not correct. Well, there's, way more, there's more than one way to conjugate a verb, right? Um, and I do think like there is, you know, for sure, I think you point some of those things out. I don't know, I don't know if any student who goes to college is immune to, to, to the idea that they might be better than the folk that they come from. Okay, I wanna read something. It was written by David Cole. He says, he was a lifelong depressive, having first attempted suicide before 10. Although he graduated with a doctorate before 30, he didn't get hired as a dean of students at Xavier University because he didn't have the qualities of a leader, in quotes. Friends and family dissuaded his relationship with his white girlfriend because stuff like that could, could get a black man hanged. He smoked like a chimney and could play pool till dawn, much to the displeasure of his father, whom he argued over his life's direction. From ages 26 to 39, he led public life while he continued to struggle personally. He was picked to lead the Montgomery boycott largely because he was new in town. He turned down an enriching book and speaking deal early on and would die with $5,000 to his family's name. Drama at his church, strain in, his, in the marriage, hated by as many who loved him, 
and the realization that he would likely not see 40. He did not see 40. Martin Luther King is a hero, not because he was brilliant, but because he decided to say yes to things that benefited others more than it would him. Take that in for a second. Let's talk about black men and wellness. I think the first time I heard someone say that MLK was depressed while he was doing all this was maybe like last year. And I think a lot of people kind of skipped over that. And I was like, no, like he was not, he was doing all this, but at the same time, like his, he was struggling with suicide. He was struggling with all this stress that he was uh, having to deal with legal segregation and all this other fight that we have to, that we even still fighting for today. And I think I wish that the ideas or the views on mental health was a little different than how it was back in the day compared to now. Cause now, now, you know, black mental health is, it's on the rise. It's a little better. It's a, it's a little better. It's on the rise, but I know back in the day, like black mental health, like what is that? And, and you're, and you're, and you're, you're, uh, you're a reverend. You should, you should be okay. You know, just pray about it. But you know, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a psychic. You know, I, you know, I feel a little differently about that. Well, it's why I mentioned it because I know that we, you know, I know Dion has a program for young brothers and sisters on our campus and non-gender binary folk. Um, and his project is called Black Table Talk, and he tries to bring bring black students together to have conversations around mental health um, and really to kind of start the conversation of working through this stuff. And when I when I read this particular excerpt, um, it just was like it was a reminder that people are human and it's lonely at the top. Like like there is a lot of loneliness and like I wonder. I mean, you know, you got to imagine: Does King go to his grave feeling like he didn't do enough, or does he go to his grave? Did he die that morning thinking, you know what, I ain't shit. Like I haven't left anything to my children. If something should happen to me, I don't know how all of this is going to work out. Um, and that's for sure how I felt when I watched One Night in Miami, which is on Amazon Prime, which is the kind of a, a, a narrative about the night that four Black figures, um, including Malcolm X, were, were in the same place at the same time. And I think I do wonder if, if being a Black man on a college campus, being a Black male who leads things, being a Black man who cares deeply for other people, if that feels as lonely then as it does, I mean, if it feels as lonely now as it probably felt then. Just not even as a leader, but just as like a first gen black student in a um, like a middle-class area like Wilmington, there was this, and there still is, I guess, there is this high level of anxiety to succeed so, I mean, it can feel lonely because you're doing all these things, you're accomplishing all these things and your life seems like, it seems like it's going great and it's going in the right direction. But at the same time, you're working yourself to death. You're always on the grindstone. The first thing you think about when you wake up and when you go to sleep is what do I got to do to get to the next step? And there's never a moment to like slow down. And that's when it really takes a, like a toll on your mental health. So, I mean, I haven't been a leader here at UNCW all four years, but that feeling has been present since 
I would say since I got accepted into UNCW, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it will still be present in grad school, and then it will be present when I start my career, and when I try to elevate myself into that that field of education. So I think there always is just kind of a weight on Black people's shoulders. Some of it has resulted from the system that we've been born to, the in- the inequities within our our culture and our nation. And I think it will always be there, but like the mental health the attention on the mental health and the research and the development of it specifically within black people and as a whole in the country needs to continue because that repression and that suppression leads can lead to disasters and heinous things that we're not careful at the least at the least it leads to the debilitation of somebody's soul if you're always dealing with this anxiety and nobody's asking you if you're okay or you can't even stop yourself and ask am i okay because you have so many things that you need to do you don't have the privilege to relax it feels like sometimes I I couldn't I couldn't even say it better myself. Just like right there, the privilege to relax. I think a lot of times, like I know for myself, I get caught up with this fear of failure. And though I am like doing successful things, throwing successful events, having successful grades, you want to keep that, you want to maintain that, you want to keep that up. But always in the back of your mind is like, okay. I really can't mess this up. I don't want to fail because I'm doing so well and I'm trying to get my foot in the door. And then on top of that, being a forward thinker, I'm like, if I can get my foot in the door, then I can leave the door open for somebody else to come in. So uh, and in order to leave my legacy and leave my impact on how to help other people. So I could understand like, that's a lot. Cause even, like I said, Jacoby couldn't say it myself. I found, I found that like, like my senior year where I couldn't even ask myself like, are you like, are you, are you okay? Are you doing too much? Because I didn't have no time to think if I was doing too much. I just had to do it. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I'll, I'll end with a, I know we, I know I kind of moved us into kind of a Debbie Downer <laughs> and I didn't mean to, but I <laughs> want to, no, no, I mean, I think that's, it's not even, it's not even Debbie Downer. I think like when you talk about King in order to get the whole perspective of King, it wasn't happy. It wasn't wasn't a good time. Yeah, it was not a good time. What were they overcoming? They were overcoming. Yeah, like, like, I agree. Like they walk hand in hand. Thanks. Like they, niggas walk in school. hand in hand. Someday. That run. No, like, yeah, but yeah, like it's it's not. I think the part of the issue, part of what annoys me about MLK, not about him, but like the legacy is that we get this holding hand in hand, like arm in arm, like seeing a cute tie, having, he got a smile and- Right, amazing amazing grace thing is like, he was not, and even like his daughter posted, he was like, my dad was not popular. Well, one, like, he was killed. He didn't- Well, we know that because he was assassinated. Right, (laughs) he was was killed. And he wasn't popular. And they, they, I think there was a study that I saw recently. I think I can find it, find it. But they were like, he, some people believe that King brought his assassination on himself. Like that's what the, that was the, the 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 American thought around the time. So like, like to not have this idea that oh this this is Martin Luther King. If you are against BLM now, you would have been against King back then. Like that's <laughs> it's crazy how some like some of the narratives and some of like the way these kids are being taught like. They'd be like, yeah, MLK died on uh, April 4th. I was like, died? No, no, no. He was 
assassinated. He was killed. <laughs> I, said, I said, don't make, don't have them believe that he you just, just passed, sick. Away, passed away in his sleep. No, he was <laughs> murdered. Was <laughs> like the indentured servants were were finally um, able to ac- access freedom on uh, in eighteen sixty five. Like what? No, that's no. It's oh. it's like. We never talk about King as a person. Like, how old was King? Oh, 39. Who just dies at 39? Like, because if, if you if you actually say King's age, because then that opens the door. Because then you're like, well, who just, I mean, what, what, what happened? Oh, he was killed. Oh, 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 oh. So like, we just say Dr. King died. Like, if we, mar- if we make him like not existent anymore, then he serves white supremacy as like the model for how black people should should operate as opposed to an actual person. Yeah, and that's why I be, that's why I'm sick. I don't like the way they be pimping Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> like they be like they really be like playing him. Imagine like, trying to plan celebrations around Martin Luther King the Jr. <laughs> we also <laughs> like it's, it's like don't be controversial. It's like we well like we'll, we will give you all this money in order to it's like you're giving money find a good negro who's gonna have something to say but not something that's gonna push us and maybe like a little inspiration but not too much church because church black he's a he's a a little hope not too much don't a little bit of hope a little hope more hope less change Maybe we should do some jazz. Some nice light reading music would be that's what that's what they do they'd be like make them feel Outrage, but not committed. Not committed to equality. <laughs> <laughs> not committed. Not committed. Just a little outraged. <laughs> More like, 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 let them understand how great it is now. Like, talk about how how terrible it was in the how past. How far how- we've come. Like, there are no racists now. They're only they fix that. No, no. <laughs> also, like, what, sidebar- what is there? What is there to complain about? Y'all got what y'all wanted. I'd be like, oh, oh, we got, we gotten what we wanted, says Marcus Garvey. We're, no, <laughs> no we, we, we ain't got much. We ain't got much. <laughs> Run me my check. That's what he said. Y'all forget about that. Right. I, it's amazing all the quotes that people forget when it comes to MLK. Like, he's he, he sitting in jail. It's like, it's a moderate evangelical Christian, like liberal, who's going to be the biggest impediment. And yeah. I hate when they start opening their mouth, because that's just ridiculous. Like, y'all don't even... Don't tell me about a king you don't believe in. Like, just be quiet and let us have the day. You don't got to say nothing. You don't got to have no Scott. You don't got to do nothing today. Just go be quiet. Ooh, a, a day, a day on, not a day off. What I do resent, though, as a black person on Martin Luther King Day, is I really do be wanting to go home and rest. I really just be wanting to go home and sleep. So, what did you do this King holiday? I relaxed. That's what I did. <laughs> I, I that's what I did. What you wanted? Like, I relaxed. Like. I like to watch a little, a little uh, people's perspective on, like I watch Roland Martin's little uh, talk on Martin Luther King Jr. and listen to a, pu- a, pu- a couple podcasts. But other than that, I relaxed. I reflected and <laughs> moved on. I watched a couple of documentaries. I watched the Black Power mixtape for like the 30th time. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it is good. I watched, um, it's some documentary on Amazon. It's called like Martin Luther King, A Man at Peace During War. It's basically talking about his um his stance against the Vietnam War. And then I, I reflected on like how I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, all the people I think 
that needed King and King needed, like Kwame Ture and Malcolm mm-hmm. X, and mm-hmm. even like people more in the middle, like a James Baldwin or Angela Davis. I mean, I, I just did a lot of reflection. I wasn't out there marching in the streets. <laughs> I didn't have no bullhorn. I wasn't giving no speeches. You know, it was just Kobe in the crib. You know what it was? <laughs> Kobe in the crib. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what that was. It was the crib too. <laughs> yeah, what you do on Martin King the holiday? Uh, I think I chilled for the most part. Uh, it honestly didn't feel like MLK Day, so I think I did open up my laptop and work a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but nah, for the most for the most part, today was it was really chill. Me and Manny, we I I I got I had gone to the beach that morning to reflect on the legacy. I thought I was going to sit in my house, in my Negro house, doing Negro things until about four. And I was going to go buy some little stuff for some little kids, some needy kids, and do my annual MLK service project. But I didn't realize that we had stuff to do in the office. And so I actually came to work. And then I literally didn't. Like, the day was so long. I was up at five in the morning. I don't think I got home until like nine. And by the time I got home, I was like, yeah, King, this is great, but I don't really want to do this no more, so. I worked, uh, like, I came to the office, like, Sean worked, and then once you're in here, I was like, oh, I might as well just finish, like, one or two things. Uh, I was prepping for our MLK celebration, which is coming up. Um, tomorrow, well, at the time, when this podcast is recording, it will, it will drop, uh, the King will be tomorrow, the celebration will be tomorrow. And we are hosting who? The Michael Eric Dyson. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and you can come in here, Michael Eric Dyson. There's still time to register. Go to www.uncw.edu slash Upperman. You will find the MLK picture um, graphic design by our amazing uh, grad student, Milton Gore. Click on that image, and then you will be able to register for the MLK event. And check out the, Whip- the Upperman Center page. You can see the Chop It Up podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Chop it up. I love it. Dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. Hey, dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. It's dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. It's dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. Dope, dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. It's dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. Dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. It's dope things with Dion. Dope, dope. What's good, everybody? I will be giving you all 10 ways to celebrate Dr. King this year. Uh, now that I know everyone will be hearing this message after MLK Day. Uh, so before I get started, um, I like to begin with an MLK quote. The time is always right to do what is right. All right, now let's jump into these 10 ways to celebrate Dr. King this year. Number one, educate yourself. I would recommend reading books such as Part in the Waters, uh, America and the King Years. Uh, Another book that's a good one, The Heavens Might Crack, uh, The Death and Legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Then also another book is The Promise and the Dream, The Untold Story of Dr. Martin Luther King. So those are three books that you can read to educate yourself this year to help uh, celebrate Dr. King. Number two, the second way to celebrate Dr. King, talk to your older family members. Some of your family members may be of an age that they remember firsthand the impact of the civil rights movement. They have very valuable information to share. 
And it's up to you to obtain it while you can. Learn from their memories and experiences so that you can make the world a better place. Number three, talk to the problematic folks. Believe it or not, there's still people and organizations in the world that do not like Black people. They may be even um, one of your family members. Nevertheless, the psychology of racism is a very interesting place to explore. So be careful with this one. Chances that you're able to change the person's thinking are slim. However, MLK's work is lifelong and cannot be subjugated to just one day. Now, speaking of subjugating to just one day, MLK Day of Service. <laughs> uh, volunteering at your local Boys and Girls Club is a good place to start when thinking about community service or MLK Day of Service opportunities. Uh, volunteering at a local shelter, um, or even creating your own community service or volunteer opportunity where you can go out and maybe clean up a park or feed those in need. Number five, support organizations that fight for racial justice. So, you know, you can look into the National Urban League and what initiatives they have going on at the time. The Children's Defense Fund's Freedom Schools. So shout out to them. Uh, the NAACP, of course, and then last but not least, Black Lives Matter. So support these organizations as they fight for racial justice and as you fight for racial justice as well. Supported Black-owned businesses. Business. If you're having trouble finding a Black-owned business in your area, hop on to Instagram or Google. Um, it's type in We Buy Black. Uh, you can find that Instagram page. Um, or Black Wall Street. That's B-L-A-K-B-A. L-C-K-W-A-L-L-S-T on Instagram. Um, and you can find some good Black-owned businesses there as well. Uh, and then uh, if you if, if you can't find somewhere local, whether it be a food spot um, or a local photographer or anything like that, uh, definitely support them um, in your efforts to uh, help celebrate Dr. King. So support Black-owned businesses for sure. Uh, another way to celebrate Dr. King is go on an informative trip somewhere like the Lorraine Motel exhibit in Memphis, Tennessee, or you can go to the International Civil Rights Center in Greensboro, North Carolina, and of course the MLK National Historic Park located in Atlanta, Georgia. So take an informative trip, get some information, museums, places like that. Watch films about Dr. King's life, you know, films like Selma, Boycott, and of course, my favorite, our friend Martin. These are films that take you through uh, the life and times of MLK and the civil rights movement um, and the fight for uh, social and racial justice. The ninth thing you can do to help celebrate Dr. King this year, and this one of course should be, do, be done in conjunction with one of the other ones we've already mentioned, but take some time to reflect and address. You know, Take some time to just sit down, think and write Consider some of your own biases and potential prejudices. Work to be more conscious and caring. When in doubt, lead with love. And lastly, number 10, the final way to celebrate Dr. King is be the change. If you recognize problems in yourself or in the world, be the person that models the good behavior. Take responsibility, learn, teach, and empower others. A wise man once said, we are the ones we have been waiting for. 
And these are the 10 ways you can celebrate Dr. King. And it's never too late to do it. And with that. We get ready to wrap it up. We just want to say thank you to our guests, Jacoby and Keith. Dion, do you got any updates of what's going on on your side of town? We, we know that you're you, you holding down the academic side. So um, anything coming your way that you want Black kids to know about? Yeah, for the Black kids, <laughs> by the time this uh, podcast drops every Thursday, of course, Black Table Talk is back. Uh, so be sure to come out to those. Uh, you can find it on the website as well as the Instagram uh, for the Upperman page. Uh, and then also be looking out for big things from uh, the Black Pre-Law Association and the Minority Association for Pre-Health Students. Um, so those are the things that we got coming up. And I want to uh, shout out Dion real quick because Excellence Project uh, killed it over this past uh, semester, both the mentees and the mentors. Oh, all the good girl. grades. Um, so <laughs> they got all the good grades. So if y'all need to, if y'all need to get these good grades, and I know y'all do, uh, uh, link I'm up. I'm gonna call the brother with the grades, and he got all the A's in the bag. Dion, 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 just do something cum laude, like, like it's it's just honors over here. It's the honors for me. <laughs> it is the honors for me as well. So we just want to say thank you. Um, we hope to see you next time when we talk about Black History Month type things in the month of February. Um, and we wanna thank our guests, Keith and Jacoby for hanging out with us. We look forward to seeing you soon on a campus near you. But as always, remember to chop it up. Chop it up, chop it up, chop it up. Chop it up. Wait, Jacoby, Jacoby, one more time. Chop it up. <laughs> I love it.